0: Thank you for coming back to the Only You Podcast. This is your boy, Low Jackson, coming to you live. This is a podcast that I like to read about books, to talk about them, and some of my viewpoints and some of the things that I know. I love to share things that I've learned along the way, and hopefully you'll enjoy some of the things that I've learned, too. Um, today, I'm going to be going to a book a book called The Ethics by benedict de spinoza and uh Beruch D. de spinoza was born benito de espinoza later an author and a correspondent benedictus de spinoza was a dutch philosopher of portuguese jewish origin born in amsterdam one of the foremost exponents of the 17th century rationalism and one of the early and seminal thinkers of enlightenment and modern biblical criticism including modern conceptions of the self and the universe he came to be considered one of the most important philosophers and certainly the most radical of the early modern period he was Inspired by Stoicism, Jewish rationalism, uh, Hob Hobbes, and a variety of uh, heterodox religious thinkers of the day, Spinoza became a leading philosophical figure during the Dutch Golden Age. And thank you guys for tuning in to the Only You podcast. This is The Ethics by uh, Benedict de Spinoza. Part 1. Concerning God. Definitions. 1. By that which is self-caused. I mean, that of which the essence involves existence, or that of which the nature is only conceivable as existent. 2. A thing is called finite after its kind when it can be limited by another thing by the same nature. For instance, a body is called finite because we always conceive another greater body. So also a thought is limited by another thought, but a body is not limited by thought, nor a thought by body. Three. By substance, I mean that which is in itself and is conceived through itself, in other words, that of which a conception can be formed independently by any other conception. 4. By attribute, I mean that which the intellect perceives as constituting the essence of substance. 5. By mode, I mean the modifications one of substance or that which exists in and is conceived through something other than itself. Affections was in notations there. This is six, by God, I mean a being absolute infinite. That is a substance consisting of and in infinite attributes of which each expresses external and infinite Thank you guys for tuning into the only you podcast and right now I'm doing The Ethics by Benedict Spinoza Explanation I say absolutely infinite not infinite after its kind for of a thing infinite only after its kind infinite attributes may be denied but that which is absolutely infinite contains in its essence whatever expresses reality that involves no negation seven that thing is called free which exists solely by the necessity of its own nature and of which the action is determined by itself alone. On the other hand, that thing is necessary of rather constrained, which is determined by something external to itself, to, be, to a fixed and definite method of existence or action. 8. By eternity, I mean existence itself. And so far as it is conceived necessary to follow solely from the definition of that which is external. Explanation. Existence of this kind is conceived as an eternal truth, like the essence of a thing, and therefore cannot be explained by means of continuance, or time through continuance may be conceived without a beginning or end thank you guys for tuning in this is propositions one substance is by nature prior to its modification proof this is clear from the definition i have provided two substances or excuse me two Two substances who attribute are different, have nothing in common. Proof, also evident from the other definition, for each must exist in itself and be conceived through itself. In other words, the conception of one does not imply the conception of the other. Proposition three, things which... Have nothing in common cannot be one the cause of the other. Proof If they have nothing in common, it follows that one cannot be apprehended by means of the other, and therefore one cannot be the cause of the other. Proposition 4 Two or more distinct things are dist- distinguished one from the other either by difference by the attributes of substance or by the difference of their modifications the proof everything which exists exists either in itself or in something else that is nothing is granted in addition to the understanding except substance and its modifications nothing is therefore given besides the understanding by which several things may be distinguished one from the other except the substance Or, in other words, the attributes and modifications. Proposition 5. There cannot exist in the universe two or more substances having the same nature or attribute. Like in the Bible, it says that you cannot serve two masters. And I wanted to say to you guys, I don't know um, if you guys ever think about this, but like The future of the world religions, the population projections have like, they've come out with a report from a Pew Research in 2015 that shows, you know, the growth of the world from 2010 to 2050 and why Muslims are rising fastest and the affiliated are shrinking as a share of the world's population. The religious profile of the world is rapidly changing. And this ain't out of this book. I'm reading this out of some research from a Pew pew Research. I just wanted to tell you guys about this because I thought it was really interesting. The religious profile, and I thought it went hand in hand with uh, the ethics book that we're reading today. The religious profile of the world is rapidly changing, driven primarily by differences in fertility rates, and the size of youth populations among the world's major religions, as well as by people switching faiths. Over the next four decades, Christians will remain the largest religious group, but Islam will grow faster than any other major religion. If current trends continue by 2050, the number of Muslims will nearly equal the number of Christians equal around the world. Atheists, agnostics, and other people who do not affiliate with any religion through increasing in countries such as the United States and France will make up a declining share of the world's total population. The, goal, the global Buddhist population will be about the same size it was in 2010, while the Hindu and Jewish populations will be larger than they are today. In Europe, Muslims will make up 10% of the overall population. India will retain a Hindu majority, but also will have the largest Muslim population of any country in the world, surpassing Indonesia. In the United States, Christians will decline from from more than three-quarters of the population in 2010 to two-thirds in 2050. And that's honestly from the news and all the negative um, uh, feedback that the, we've gotten from all the terrible allegations that have gone on in the church, I believe. And that's my own opinion. I mean, that's I'm, I could be wrong. I didn't do any research on that. I'm just letting you have one of my opinions. <laughs> uh, Muslims will be more numerous in the U.S. than people who identify as Jewish on the basis of religion. Four out of every ten Christians in the world will live in a sub-Saharan Africa. Interesting. These are among the global religious trends highlighted in new demographic projections by the Pew Research Center. The projections take into account the current size and demographic distributions of the world's major religions, age differences, fertility, and mortality rates. And it gives a graph here. Um, In 2010, Christianity was by far the world's largest religion, with an estimated 2.2 billion, adherent nearly a third. Um, And I don't know if you guys know anything about um, Islam or where it came from. Um, In the Christian Bible, I believe it's in uh, Genesis 26.4, Ishmael said to uh i believe he said to ishmael uh god said to him i will give you as many descendants as there are stars in the sky and i will give them all the territory and it has been proven that ishmael is a descendant of muhammad um muhammad did not come from ishmael but uh in the quran um in the quran or the you know islamic bible it talks about jesus and then jesus is described as the messiah born of a virgin performing miracles accompanied by disciples being rejected by the jewish establishment um in the quran it does not talk about jesus being crucified nor dying upon the cross but miraculously being saved by god and i found that to be uh really wild and um when people are asked why they convert to um, Islam from any other religion um, some relate related to personal transformation or to identity and others to external social and political factors um, people were attracted in the beginning to Islam by spiritual and moral by you know by Islam's spiritual and moral teachings um, and the approval of trade and global connection um during the abbasid rule many converted to islam for sincere beliefs and i i wanted to include this part because i thought i found it interesting but many converted to um islam because they were trying to dodge taxes for being non-muslim and so you know a lot of people were actually forced into be into that religion so they didn't have to pay taxes I thought that was pretty wild. Um, uh, Back to the ethics. Um, Number six. One substance cannot be produced by another substance. If uh, proof, it is possible that there should be in the universe two substances with an identical attribute which have anything in common to them both. And, therefore, one cannot be the cause of the other. Neither can one be produced by the other. Uh, Corollary. Hence, it follows that a substance cannot be produced by anything external to itself. For the universe, nothing is granted, save substances and their modifications, appears from... The substance cannot be produced by another substance. Therefore, it cannot be produced by anything external to itself. This is shown still more readily by the absurdity of the contradictory. For if substance be produced by an external cause, the knowledge of it would depend on the knowledge of its cause. It would itself not be substance. Um, Proposition number seven. Existence belongs to the nature of substance proof substance cannot be produced by anything external it must therefore be its own cause that is its essence necessarily involves existence nor or existence belongs to its nature proposition a every substance is necessarily infinite proof there can only be one substance with an identical Attribute and existence follows from its nature. Its nature, therefore, involves existence, either as finite or infinite. It does not exist as finite, or it would then be limited by something else of the same kind, which would also necessarily exist, and there would be two substances with an identical attribute, which is absurd, absurd. It therefore exists as infinite. Note. As finite exists involves a partial negation, and infinite exists it is the absolute affirmation of the given nature. It follows that every substance is necessarily infinite. And that's saying, like... And I think there it's talking about, like, you know, how... God, you know, sent his only son to the earth. You know, it's infinite, infinite. No, is no doubt it will be difficult for those who think about things loosely and have not been accustomed to know them by their primary causes. To comprehend the demonstration of for such persons, make no distinction between the modifications of substance and the substances themselves and are ignorant of the manner in which which ignorant means they just don't know of the manner in which things are produced hence they may attribute to substances the beginning which they observe in natural objections those who are ignorant of true causes make complete confusion think that trees might talk just as well as men that men might be formed from stone as well as from seed and imagine that any form might be changed into another so also those who confuse the two natures, divine and human readily, at, readily attribute human passions to the deity, especially as long as they do not know how passions originate in the mind, but if people would consider the nature of substance, they would have no doubt about the truth. In fact, this proposition would be a universal axiom and accounted a truism, for by substance would be understood that which is in itself and is conceived through itself that is something of which the conception requires, not the conception of anything else whereas modifications exist in something external to themselves and a conception of them is formed by means of a conception of the thing in which they exist therefore we may have truth excuse me therefore we may have true ideas of non-existent modifications for although they may have no actual existence apart from the conceiving intellect Yet their existence is so involved in something external to themselves that they may, through it, be conceived, whereas the only truth substance can have external to the intellect must consist in their existence, because they are conceived through themselves. Therefore, a person to say that he has a clear and distinct distinct that is a true idea of substance but that he is not sure whether such substance exists would be the same as if he said that he had a true idea but was not sure whether or not it was false. A little consideration will make his plain or if Anyone affirm that substance is created, it would be the same as saying that a false idea was true. In short, the height of absurdity. It must then necessarily be admitted that the existence of substance as essence is an external truth. Thank you guys for listening to the Only You podcast. And we can hence conclude by another process of reasoning that there is but one such substance. I think that this may, pro- excuse me. I think that this may profitably be done at once. And in order to proceed regularly with demonstration, we must premise one: the truth definition of a thing neither involves nor expresses anything beyond the nature of the thing defined. From this is it follows that to no definition implies or expresses a certain number of individuals, inasmuch as it expresses nothing beyond the nature of the thing defined. For instance, the definition of a triangle expression, nothing beyond the actual nature of a triangle. It does not imply any fixed number of triangles. There is necessarily for each individual a stent thing a cause why it should exist. Four, that was three, this is four. This cause of existence must either be contained in the nature and definition of the thing defined or must be postulated apart from such definition. It therefore follows that if a given number of individual things exist in nature, there must be some cause for the existence of exactly that number, neither more nor less. For example, if twenty men exist in the universe for simplicity's sake, I will suppose them existing simultaneously and to have had no predecessors. And we want to account for the existence of these 20 men. It will not be enough to show the cause of human existence in general. We must also show why there are exactly 20 men, neither more nor less, for a cause must be assigned for the existence of each individual. Now this cause cannot be contained in the actual nature of man, for the truth definition of man does not involve any consideration of the number 20. Consequently, the cause for the existence of these twenty men, and consequently for each of them, must necessarily be sought externally to each individual, hence we may lay down the absolute rule that everything which may consist of several individuals must have an external cause, and as it has been shown already, that existence appertains to the nature of substance uh, existence must necessarily be included in its definition, and its definition alone exists. Existence must be deductible, but from its definition, as we have shown, we cannot interfere the existence of several substances. Therefore, it follows that there is only one substance of the same nature. And that's one God proposition. Number nine, the more reality of being a thing has the greater the number of its attributes. Thank you guys for listening to the only you podcast. This is your boy Lo Jackson. And this is a book called the ethics. And thank you for listening. Each particular attribute of the one substance oh this is 10 sorry each particular attribute of one substance must be conceived through itself proof an attribute is that which the intellect perceives of substance as constituting its essence and therefore must be conceived through itself note it is thus evident that through two attributes are in fact conceived and distinct that it is one without the help of the other yet we cannot therefore conclude that they constitute two entities or two different substances for it is the nature of substance that each of its attributes is conceived through itself in as much as all the attributes it has have had excuse me attributes it has have always existed simultaneously in it and none could be produced by any other but each expresses the reality or being of substance it is then far from an absurdity to ascribe several attributes to one substance for nothing in nature is more clear than that each and every entity must be conceived under some attribute and that its reality or being is in proportion to the number of its attributes expressing necessity or eternity and infinitely consequently it is absurd uh, excuse me abundantly excuse me consequently it is abundantly clear that an absolutely infinite being must necessarily be defined as consisting of And infinite attributes, each of which expresses a certain external and infinite essence. Sorry, guys, you know, this is live and I stumble and stutter sometimes and lose my place. I apologize. If anyone now asks by what sign shall he be able to distinguish different substance, let him read the following propositions, which show that there is but one substance in the universe, and that is absolutely infinite wherefore such a sign would be sought in vain proposition 11 god or substance consisting of infinite attributes of which each expresses external and infinite essentially necessarily excuse me necessarily exists proof if this be denied conceive if possible, that God does not exist, then his essence does not involve existence, and that would be atheism. But this is absurd. Therefore, God necessarily does exist. Another proof of everything whatsoever a cause or reason must be assigned, neither for its existence or for its non-existence. Example, If a triangle exists, a reason or cause must be granted for its existence. If on the contrary it does not exist, a cause also be granted, which prevents it from existing, which is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's not in this book, I'm just saying that. And that's the triangle. Or annuals, its existence. This reason or cause must either be contained in the nature of the thing in question or be external to it for instance the reason for the non-existence of a square circle is indicated in its nature namely because it would involve a contradiction on the other hand the existence of substance follows also solely from its nature inasmuch as much as its nature involves existence But the reason for the existence of a triangle or a circle does not follow from the nature of those figures, but from the order of universal nature and extension. From the latter it must follow, either that a triangle necessarily exists, or that it is impossible that it should exist, so much as is self-evident. It follows therefrom that a thing necessarily exists, if no cause or reason exists be granted which prevents its existence. If then no cause or reason can be given which prevents the existence of God or which destroys his existence or her existence, we must certainly conclude that he or she necessarily does exist. If such a person or cause should be given, it must either be drawn from the very nature of God or be external from he or she that is drawn from another substance or another nature. For if it were of the same nature, God, by that very fact, would be admitted to exist. But substance of another nature could have nothing in common with God and therefore be unable either to cause or to destroy his existence, as then a reason or cause which would annul the divine existence cannot be drawn from anything external to the divine nature. Such cause must perforce. If God does not exist, be drawn from God's own nature, which would involve a contradiction. To make such an affirmation about a being absolutely infinite and supremely Perfect is absurd. Therefore neither the nature of God nor externally to his nature can a cause or reason be assigned which would annul his existence. Therefore God necessarily exists. Another proof the potential the, the potentiality of non existence is a negation of power. A contrary wise the potentiality of existence is a power as as is obvious. If then that which necessarily exists is nothing but finite beings, such finite beings are more powerful than a being absolutely infinite, which is obviously absurd. Therefore, either nothing exists or Else, a being absolutely infinitely necessarily exists. Also, now we exist. Now we exist either in ourselves or in something else which necessarily exists. Therefore, a being absolutely infinite, in other words, God, necessarily exists. Note. In this last proof, I have proposedly shown God's existence a posterior, posteriority so that the proof might be more easily followed, not because from the same promises God exists, does not follow a proprietor, or for as the potentiality of existence is a power. It follows that in proportion as reality increases and the nature of a thing, so also will it increase its strength for existence. Therefore, a being absolutely infinite such as God has from himself an absolutely infinite power of existence and hence he does absolutely exist and there's Christian scientists out there like um, Ray Comfort who um, can tell you on his two feet standing in front of you exactly why scientifically um, you know mathematically why God exists perhaps there will be many who will be unable to see the force of this proof and as much as they are accustomed only to consider those things which flow from external causes of such things they see that those which quickly come to pass that is quickly come into existence quickly also disappear whereas they regard as more difficult to accomplishment that is not so easily brought into existence those things which they conceive as more complicated. However, to do away with those misconceptions, I need not here show the measure of truth in the proverb, what comes quickly goes quickly, nor discuss whether from the point of view of universal nature all things are equally easy or otherwise, I need only remark that I am not here speaking of things which come to pass through causes external to themselves but only of substance which cannot be produced by any external cause. Things which are produced by external causes, whether they consist of many parts or few, owe whatsoever perfection or reality they possess solely to the officiate efficiency. So pretty much efficiency of their external cause, and therefore their existence arises solely from the perfection of their external cause, not from their own. contrary whatsoever perfection is possessed by substance is due to no external cause, wherefore the existence of substance must arise solely from its own nature, which is nothing else but its essence. Thus, the perfection of a thing does not... Annul its existence, but on the contrary asserts it imperfection, on the other hand, does annul it, therefore, we cannot be more certain of existence of anything than of existence of a being absolutely infinite infinite or perfect that is of God, for inasmuch as his essence excludes all imperfection and involves absolute perfection. All cause for doubt concerning his existence is done away, and the utmost certainty on the question is given. This, I think, will be evident to every moderately attentive reader. Proposition 12. No attribute of substance can be conceived from which it would follow the substance can be divided. Proof? The parts into which substance, as thus conceived, would be divided, either will retain the nature of substance, or they will not. If the former, then each part will necessarily be infinite, and self-caused, and will perforce consist of a different attribute, so that in that cause several substances can be formed out of one substance, which is absurd, Moreover, the parts would have nothing in common with their whole, and the whole could both exist and be conceived without its part, which everyone will admit to be absurd. If we adopt the second alternative, namely that the parts will not retain the nature of substance, then if the whole substance were divided into equal parts, it would lose the nature of substance and would cease to exist, which... Is absurd proposition 13 is substance absolutely infinite is indivisible proof if it could be divided the parts into which it was divided would either retain the nature of absolutely infinite substance or they would not if former we should have several substances of the same nature which is absurd and the latter then substance absolutely infinite could cease to exist which is absurd corollary 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 it follows that no substance and consequently no extended substance in so far as it is substance is divisible no The indivisibility of substance may be more easily understood as follows. The nature of substance can only be conceived as infinite, and by a part of substance, nothing else can be understood than infinite substance, which involves a manifest contradiction. Proposition 14. Besides God, no substance can be granted or conceived. Proof? As God is being absolutely infinite, of whom no attribute that expresses the essence of substance can be denied, and he necessarily exists, if any substance besides God were granted, it would have to be explained by some attribute of God, and thus two substances with the same attribute would exist, which is absurd. Therefore, besides God, no substance can be granted or consequently be conceived. If it could be conceived, it would necessarily have to be conceived as existent. But this is absurd. Therefore, besides God, no substance can be granted or conceived. Corollary 1. Clear Clearly, therefore, one God is one. That is, only one substance can be granted in the universe and that substance is absolutely infinite, as we have already indicated. Corollary 2. It follows that extension and thought are either attributes of God or accidents of the attributes of God or affectionates of God. Proposition 1. 15 whosoever is isn't god and without god nothing can be or be conceived proof besides god no substance is granted or can be conceived nothing which is in itself and is conceived through itself by modes can neither be nor be conceived without substance therefore They can only be in the divine nature and can only through it be conceived, but substances and modes form the sum total of existence. Therefore, without God, nothing can be or be conceived. Note, some assert that God, like a man, consists of body and mind and is susceptible of passions, how far such persons have strayed from the truth is sufficiently evident from what has been said but these i pass over for all who have in any wise reflected on the divine nature deny that that god has a body of this they find excellent proof and the fact that we understand by body a definite quantity so long So broad, so deep, abound by a certain shape, and it is the height of absurdity to predict such a thing of God, a being absolutely infinite. But meanwhile, by other reasons with which they try to prove their point, they show that they think corporal and extended substance wholly apart from the divine nature and say it was created by God. Wherefrom the divine nature can have been created, they are wholly ignorant. Thus, they clearly show that they do not know the meaning of their own words. I myself have proved sufficiently clear, at any rate, in my own judgment, that no substance can be produced or created by anything other than itself. Further, I showed that Besides God, no substance can be granted or conceived. Hence, we drew the conclusion of the extended substance as one of the infinite attributes of God. However, in order to explain more fully, I will refute the arguments of my adversaries, which are, all start from the following points. Extended substance, and as far as it is substance consists as they think, and parts wherefore they deny that it can be infinite, or consequently that it can appertain to God. The This they illustrate with many examples of which I will take one or two. If extended substance they say is infinite, let it be conceived to be divided into two parts. Each part will then be either finite or infinite. And the former... Then, infinite substance is composed of two finite parts, which is absurd. If the latter, then one infinite will be twice as large as another infinite, which is also absurd. Further, if an infinite line be measured out in foot lengths, it will consist of an infinite number of such parts. It would equally consist of another infinite number of parts if each part measured only an inch, therefore one infinitely would be twelve times as great as the other. Lastly, if from a single point there be conceived to be drawn two diverging lines which at first are at a definite distance apart, but are produced to infinite infinitely. It is certain that the distance between the two lines will be continually increased until, at length, it changes from definite to indefinable. As these absurdities follow, it is said from considering quantity as infinite, the conclusion is drawn that extended substance must necessarily be finite and consequently cannot appertain to the nature of God. The second argument is also drawn from God's supreme perfection. God, it is said, inasmuch as he is a supremely perfect being, cannot be passive, but extended substance, insofar as it is divisible, is passive. It follows, therefore, that extended substance does not appertain to the essence of God, such are arguments I find on the substance. Excuse me, such are arguments I find on the subject in writers who, by them, try to prove that extended substance is unworthy of the divine nature and cannot possibly appertain thereto. However, I think an attentive reader will see that I have already answered their propositions for all. Their arguments are founded on the hypothesis that extended substance is composed of parts and such a hypothesis I have shown to be absurd. <laughs> Does this writer not love absurd? Thank you, Mr. Spinoza. <laughs> Moreover, anything who reflects will see that all these absurdities... <laughs> oh, man. Uh thy be which i am not now discussing from which it is sought to extract the conclusion that extended substance is finite do not at all follow from the no- notion of an infinite quantity but merely from the notion that an infinite quantity is measurable and composed of infinite parts and that would be right here he's talking about omnipresent Omnisense, omnipotent. If you don't know what those words mean, look them up. It's like like omnipresence is God's everywhere all at once. Omnisense is like um, God knows everything you're thinking and knows everything all at once. You know the omnis are very important. Whatever religion you belong to, you should know all the omnis and what they mean. Omnipresent, omnipotent, Omnisense Check it out. This is exactly what. We have already proved. Therefore, the weapon which they aimed at us has in reality recoiled upon themselves. If from this absurdity of theirs they persist in the drawing the conclusion that extended substance must be finite, they will in good sooth be acting like a man who asserts the circles have the properties of squares and finding himself thereby landed. And absurdities proceed to deny that circles have any center from which all lines drawn to the circumference are equal. And that's infinite zero, the middle of the circle. For taking extended substance which can only be conceived as infinite, one, and indivisible, they assert in order to prove that it is finite that it is composed of finite parts, and that it can be multiplied and divided. So also, others, after asserting that a line is composed of points, can produce any arguments to prove that a line cannot be infinitely divided. And thank you guys for listening to the Only You podcast. And this is the Book of Ethics, and I do appreciate you guys for tuning in. Thank you for following me. Thank you for sharing me. And thank you for thinking that I'm crazy. I appreciate it. You know, I'm out here being crazy, reading to you guys cool books that I found. (laughs) Uh, Assuredly, it is not less absurd to assert that extended substance is made up of bodies or parts than it would be to assert that a solid is made up of surfaces, a surface of lines, and a line of points. This must be admitted by all who no clear reason to be infallible and most of all by those who deny the possibility of a vacuum for if extended substance could be so divided that its parts were readily separate why should not one part admit of being destroyed the others remaining joined together as before and why should all be so fitted into one another as to leave no vacuum surely in the case of things which are readily distinct one from the other, one can exist without the other and can remain in its original condition, as then there does not exist a vacuum in nature of which anon. But all parts are bound to come together to prevent it. It follows from this that the part cannot really be distingu- distinguished and that the Extended substance, and so far as it is, substance cannot be divided. If anyone asks me the further question, why are we naturally so prone to divide quantity, I answer that quantity is conceived by us in two ways, in the abstract and the superficial as we imagine it, or as substance as we conceive it solely by the intellect. If then we regard quantity as it is represented in our imagination which we often and more easily do we shall find that it is finite divisible and compounded by parts but if we regard it as it is represented in our intellect and conceive it as substance which it is very difficult to do we shall then as i have sufficiently proved find that it is infinite one and indivisible this will be plain enough to all who make a distinction between the intellect and the imagination, especially if it is, if it be remembered that matter is everywhere the same, that its parts are not distinguishable except in so far as we conceive matter as diversely modified. Hence, its parts are distinguished, not really... But modally, ma, modally, yeah, like mode, M-O-D-A-L-L-Y. For instance, water, insofar as it is water, we conceive to be divided, and its parts to be separated, one from the other, but not insofar as it extended substance. From this point of view, it is neither separated nor divisible. Further, water, in so far as it is water, is produced and corrupted, but in so far as it is substance. And every cup of water, you guys, that you drink has passed through nine other people's bodies throughout time. Probably ten by now. I mean, there's 7.7 billion people in the world. It is neither produced nor corrupted. (laughs) I think I have now answered the second argument. It is, in fact, founded on the same assumption as the first namely, that matter, in so far as it is substance, is divisible and composed of parts. Even if it were so, I do not know why it should be considered unworthy of the divine nature, and as much as, besides God, no substance can be granted, wherefrom it could receive its modifications. All things, I repeat, are in God, and all things which come to pass— come to pass solely through the laws of the infinite nature of God. And thank you guys for listening to the Only You Podcast. This has been the book called The Ethics. You can pick this book up for about 7 bucks. You can find it at all the major platforms, Barnes & Noble, Google. You can find it on Amazon. Um, I really do appreciate everybody for tuning in. Um, you know, I, I do... I want to tell you, thank you for all your comments, thank you for your emails, um, and I like to touch base on God and religion, because I do think that everybody needs God in their life, and without God, nothing can exist, and nobody can really find true happiness, because life is about mind, body, and soul, and for me, um, becoming a man was the point of I, I hit the gym so hard, and I started working out so much that... I, it led me into, um, you know, mind, body and soul because once I started feeling so great about myself and I started seeing, you know, the changes in my body and how the more I ran, the more I lifted, the better I felt, the more I got in tune with my God and the more my spiritual side took off and the more I wanted to, you know, pursue my religious beliefs and, um, you know, there are differences in religions, you know, and, I am a Christian, it's not a secret, and I don't care if you're a Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist, you know, whatever you are, it, it doesn't matter. I, I am I am not here to judge another, and nobody else is either, and when you start judging in your religions and casting uh, those kind of judgment calls, and every book out there, and every Bible, you know, it talks about, you know, we are not here to judge, and people that are judging, you know, homosexuals or LGBTQ communities... Man, you're the ones that are actually going to be, you know, probably, you know, penalized for that at some point in time. And you have no idea because you're not, I'm not here to judge what you do with other people. I'm not here to judge anything. I am here to, you know, try to work on being the best human being I know how to be. And to get to being the best human being, I have to have a God inside of myself. And you do too and everybody does. And if you don't understand how God works, the omnipresent, omnipotent, omniscient, then you truly don't understand your existence in the world and how important you really are. And for the people out there that are depressed and going through things that they can't control and they're struggling with, you know, many different types of ailments. We have no I have no idea about, you know, there is hope out there. And that's something having a God gives you hope. And without hope, nothing's worth living for, you know, and faith makes that possible. And, and that's why in my Bible, it says, you know, the faith, the size of a mustard seed, because that's all it takes. And in reality, we're all specks of dust upon this earth and we're all intertwined. We are all on many different types of frequencies and vibrations, but we all belong here. We all are somebody. And if you aren't working on becoming a better person, then you know, you should truly look into it. It's worth it. And when I, once I started getting in tune with my God and I finally stopped going to the gym, but I've never stopped staying in tune with my God. And, you know, people are like, in today's society, I'm easily, you know, uh, looked upon as uh, a faker or whatever, you know. And it's like, I don't have to preach that, I go to church every Sunday. I don't have to tell you what I'm doing with my life because this is my journey and nobody cares that much about me. You know, that's why it, or the human mind can easily become its own worst enemy and it's very easily done because we are such fragile individuals and especially here in the States where we have so many different chemicals in our bodies and our diets are so messed up. And the word diet actually comes from the Greek And it means our way of life. And it's whatever you put into your body, you know, is your diet. And whatever you put into your mouth is your medicine. And, you know, I mean, Mountain Dew is banned in 160 countries. And, you know, a lot of countries don't allow ketchup because, you know, for what all the different types of preservatives and properties that are in there. And, you know, a lot of the salt that they use in our foods are causing a lot of damages to our bodies. You know, it's like, look at a battery terminal. After all the starts of your car, it builds up this corrosion. Well, you know, look at your lymphatic system in your body. that That's your waste system and, you know, your lymph nodes. That's The lymphatic system is where all the cancers and all the nasty stuff come into play in your body. And if your mind, body, and soul ain't in one, you're never going to get on a level of cleaning out that lymphatic system or, you know, reaching a level that is beautiful to yourself and to your God because that's what it's about. You know, it's not about living your life for your loved ones or your kids. If you live your life for God first, nothing will stop you from your hopes and dreams and happiness. Thank you guys for tuning in to the Only You Podcast.